Um, as such, um, I have spent the past 20 years leading public, private, and public charter schools because I believe that school plays a major, major part in achieving racial justice. Um, equally important to note is I love dogs. And on the screen, you also see my baby boy, Dalton, my big yellow lab, who does not know that he is 75 pounds. A little bit about Tony and I, um, our goal, um, we have a, a, a wide range of services that we offer through SLSJ. We help schools and school districts launch and deepen their educational equity work and achieve academic excellence for our students. We do this through consulting, through keynote addresses, presentations and professional development, through HK Co, Horton Kelly Company. We do the same type of work, but we do that specifically with organizations, businesses, churches, and community groups, and through lifted um, educational ser consulting services. We do contract-based services um, for a wide variety of different projects so that we can help um, schools, school leaders, and districts um, continue the important work of serving students with excellence. In just a second, Charlotte, Tina says we are losing sound. Tina, is it just for Charlotte? For me, is it both of us? Maybe we can make some adaptations. I'm going to put on headphones right quick. That might help. Okay. So hopefully that'll help. Tina, let me know if that, if that fixes the problem. Thank you for letting us know. Good morning. I am Dr. Tony Harrison Kelly. I love all the things on the screen in specific order. I uh, love Jesus lots. Um, I am a loud, proud, fighting Texas Aggie. And I love the kids I teach. So I am so excited to be, um, during my day job, an eighth grade teacher with Dallas ISD. So I absolutely love middle schoolers, but those are my people. And I absolutely love hiking. So not in this weather because Texas heat. And Baby Yoda is my current obsession. I have little decals. I'm a nerd. So uh, that is me in a nutshell. I'm glad to be here with you this morning. So I know that there's lots of apprehension and lots of talk out there about why we shouldn't talk about race and, you know, people don't really know how to do that. Um, but the reality is we can't talk about excellence and equity without talking about race. And if you're not used to it, it can be scary or uncomfortable. But if we make some collective agreements today, I promise it'll be just fine. Okay. So our four collective agreements, number one, stay engaged. Um, so engagement looks different to everybody, but whatever this means for you, if you would remain emotionally, mentally, and cognitively just part of what the, uh, the conversation. Number two, experience discomfort. You might hear things that maybe you haven't heard before, or to some degree you might not um, you might not agree with. But sometimes, you know, I used to tell my students when I taught middle school, the learning is in the struggle. So sometimes this discomfort is actually what helps us to advance our understanding. Number three, speak your truth. In this session, Tony and I are going to be doing all the talking, but when we say speak your truth, we also mean think your truth. So think very clearly um, and, and very uh, reflectively about your experiences as an educator. And then number four, expect and accept non-closure. This is an equity workshop, and there is lots of inequity in schools, which we're going to see this um, in some of the data we're going to look at in a little bit, but we're not going to solve it today in this 40-minute session. So expect and accept non-closure. 
these um, four agreements that we're going to talk, that we're asking everybody to honor today are um, really helpful, even with you, um, whether you are a classroom teacher or a school leader um, in beginning and facilitating conversations with your students and your staff around race. It's never easy, but it does get easier the more comfortable we get and the, the safer we make the environment to have the conversations. On the screen are a few of our basic declarations. These are the truths that we live by and as we conduct training, these things are important to keep in mind. We are black, um, so we're, we are not experts on many, many other cultures. We're learning and growing in those areas. But as you hear us give examples, we're gonna keep it local and personal. So we're going to give examples about what we've lived so that we can share those things from an honest perspective. We are teachers, we're exemplary teachers, we're master teachers. So hopefully you'll be able to take away some things from this training that would be helpful in the classroom or to share with classroom teachers as we attempt to model some processes and um, so show by example how race can be discussed in, in a setting like this. Number three, we lead the learning, but the work is yours. So as Charlotte just explained, be honest with yourself. This is a safe place for you. You won't be doing much talking today because we don't have a lot of time, but when you're talking about yourself in your writing and reflecting about your experiences, be honest, be, be, feel free to share what you really think on the paper and on in your learning log so that um, we can grow and really examine how we be, believe so that we can start changing our behaviors. So that leads us to our SLSJ domain triangle. So our whole goal for anything that we attend like this would be behavior change, right? We want to be able to do something different as a result of the knowledge that we get. So we feel like this process is, is, is very fluid. So as you get more knowledge, your beliefs are going to change what you believe, what you think, and that influences behavior. And that's our ultimate goal is to change behavior. So I just pray that today we are open-minded and ready to hear some maybe new perspectives so that we can all grow and have behaviors that are more equitable for all students we serve. And that, exa that is exactly the goal today. Number one, we're going to work um, reflectively to identify inequity in our own classrooms and campuses. And then additionally, we're going to hopefully take some actionable steps towards achieving equity by creating environments where all students can thrive. So we'll start off with a basic question. How much does race influence your life? You don't have to actually answer, but the answer is 100%. So whether you know it or not, that was one of those teacher trick questions where I already knew the answer, but I asked you. 100%, um, everything that we do is influenced or colored by race. And whether we're conscious of it or not, whether it is positive or negative, it plays a, a huge role, especially in the United States. So our goal is to think about how our particular perspectives influence the students we serve. So let's look at how race particularly affects students of color. So number one, research is very clear. Race is a key predictor of student outcomes in pre-K through 16 schools. Black preschool students are four times more likely to be suspended than white preschool students. Black boys are three times more likely to be suspended from school than white boys. Black girls are six times more likely to be suspended from school than white girls. 
And not only are we talking about discipline uh, inequity, but the reality is discipline outcomes and academic outcomes are equally disparate for black um, students. In 2019, black students performed 26 points below white students in third grade reading. In 2019, black students performed 27 points below white students in eighth grade reading. In 2018, only 73% of black students completed high school in four years compared to 87% of white students. And in 2011, black students whose parents made above $200,000 a year scored at the same level on the SAT as Latinx students from families making $100,000 to $120,000, the same as white students from families making $40,000 to $60,000, and the same as Asian American students from families making $20,000 to $40,000 a year. So not only do we see chronic trends of disproportionate discipline nationally, we also see chronic and troubling trends of disproportionate academic performance um, for Black and Hispanic students. So we just saw some data, right? And all data is, is a story. And this data that we just saw, and lots of data like it, tells the story of Black and Latinx children in America's schools. And for far too many of them, it's not a pretty story. The good news is that as educational leaders, we have the ability to change the story. We have the power. So this quote from America Healing is one of my favorites. It says, the ability to imagine a world that is different than the present is the beginning of any movement for change. To be able to communicate the world one imagines to others and have it feel possible is the power of narrative. So as Charlotte just mentioned, it's a horror story possibly right now in many areas of our, of our, of our United States here, but we have the power to change that. And so today we're going to think through some questions that we can ask ourselves as we lead in schools that may help change that story. The first step in writing a new story is understanding the old story. The 10 questions that we're about to share with you are designed to help you assess whether or not your classroom or campus is an equitable space that values and honors all students. So we're gonna start with the 10 questions and we're gonna end with three really actionable steps that you can take. In order to, as we walk through these 10 questions, we have a resource for you. Um, I'm gonna pop in the chat right now. Can I do that? I don't know that I can do that. Hold on, Charlie. Can you do it? Thank you. I'm gonna give you the... So the 10 questions uh, we're going to walk through, but we're also going to provide a resource in the chat for you really quickly where you can do the work with this. You do not have to use the learning log, but it's really helpful for you in your personal reflection. Um, and it also lists, lists the 10 questions out for you. Am I able to? Um, yes, go ahead. Okay, great. So once you get the document, it will prompt you to make a copy. Did that work? For some reason, I'm not able to see my chat. Let me try it one more time. Nope. 
Okay, one more time. Copy. I can do it. Paste. There we go. So you'll be prompted to make a copy. Um, so that you, then once you make a copy, you can type in your own document or you can just follow along as we go through the 10 questions. Got it? All right. We are ready to rock and roll. So that learning log is just for you to um, follow along with the 10 questions and then make whatever personal reflections you want to make as we go through um, the rest of the training. So our next step, once you get your learning log open, whether you choose to or not, you don't have to follow along in the learning log, but it gives you a place to personally reflect. So the question now is, what do we expect of students? So we're going to, each of us, think of a behavioral expectation in your classroom or school that really seems to be a struggle for a particular group of students by color. So maybe it's a dress code, um, violation or some type of other violation that seems to really disproportionately affect a particular population of students. So just be thinking about it so far. That is what the purpose of the 10 questions is, is to take one of the rules or any of the rules that are currently being applied in your school environment and to really critically examine that rule and think of things that you may not have thought of before. So in, in an effort to keep this personal, um, this is definitely something that affects the students that I teach and would affect me if I were in school at this point. So the expectation that we're going to use as an example is students may not wear bandanas, head wraps, or head scarves except for religious reasons. So as we're going through, I'm going to explain the question. I'm going to give an example using this particular example. So I'm going to give um, an example of how that question could apply to this rule. And then I'm going to give you a little bit of time and space to think through how does the question apply to the rule that you have in mind. So at this point, make sure that you have a rule in mind. Or you can just follow along with the example that I'm about to give. So for the first question, what is the expectation? So not only what is it, but how is it explicitly stated? So we just talked about the expectation being that students may not wear head wraps or scarves except for religious purposes. So what is the expectation? As you're thinking through, go ahead for question one on your learning log if you're following along write down what is the expectation that you are going to critically examine with our 10 question. Question number two, why is this the expectation? This is one of the things that I rarely ever stop to think about. I'm one of those perfectionist rule following people, unlike some people I know, Charlotte. Um, 
But I never question. I rarely ever say, well, why do we even have this as a rule? So this step is very critical for me because for once I stopped and thought, okay, why do we expect our students not to wear bandanas and et cetera? And so as we were thinking through this, we were like, it's not necessarily for safety if they are able to, you know, take it off from metal detector, metal detectors or whatever else. So what is the reason? Why is this the expectation? So be thinking now about the actual expectation that you are, are thinking through, the example that you're using. So why is that the expectation? I'll give you a little bit of time to see if you can come up with some reasons in your learning law. One of the things that's just, that is interesting to note is that some of the reasons always given for not wearing head scarves or head wraps is safety, as Tony just mentioned, and also this idea that we are preparing for the future. We're preparing students for the future. And even when we stop and think about that, well, what do, well whose future are we preparing them for and by whose standards? Um, I'm 45 and I have a doctorate and I wore a headscarf yesterday. So when yeah. we think about it, um, you know, there are just some things that we have to stop and examine about ourselves and our beliefs and our values to decide whether or not the expectation that is set forth is really, really necessary. And I'm so getting ahead of myself. I just did all the rest of the 10 questions. We're pretty much done now. Sorry. <laughs> okay, then we'll go to the next one. Okay, so number three, who decided that this expectation was even necessary? Oftentimes, as school leaders or as teachers, as adults, we stop and we think about what do we want for our students, right? What kind of environment do we want to create? Who participates in that decision-making process? But more importantly, who's, who's usually absent from that decision-making process? Did parents participate in coming to this decision? Did students participate in coming to this decision? Did people from multiple different racial, ethnic, and cultural backgrounds participate in coming to this decision? Did people with various values and um, from different age groups participate in coming to this decision? Or was it a group of teachers or adults who live in the world of admin or the world of um, decision-making typically who sat in isolation and made a decision that has long-standing impact on all the people um, that we serve in our schools. So think about whatever um, expectation you're working from today and who participated, like physically, literally write down their names or roles. Who made the decision that that expectation was necessary for your school setting? And if you can, who did not participate in that decision? Number four. So we know what the expectation is. We've thought about why it probably exists. We've thought about who participated in making the decision. But now let's go even more personal and more local and more immediate. What about you? What do you believe about this expectation? 
do you believe is necessary? What do you think it accomplishes? What do you think it helps? What do you think it hurts? Do you think it's important or not and why? Take just a few minutes and think critically about the expectation that you are working from. Think about what you believe about it. I'll tell you, as you can probably imagine, since I wore a, head, a bandana yesterday, I think that uh, headscarf exemptions um, are exclusionary, are, um, are oppressive. I believe that they um, almost always target Black girls and cause unnecessary burdens on school administrators, parents, and students. Um, as we make a big deal about something that has nothing to do with learning. So think about your expectation that you're examining today and what do you believe about it? It's so weird that the 10 questions actually helped me to change my mind about this expectation because I never questioned why, but then when I get down to what I believe, I love students. Students should come first. So it, it needs to be a balance between how do we keep students from, from getting in trouble over our preferences. So if there's a legitimate reason, you know, why we shouldn't wear the head wraps or the scarves, definitely understandable. And we'll talk about that in just a little bit as we go through the questions, deeper into the questions as well. It just made me stop and think, okay, so what do I believe about this? Do I think it's going to be a complete distraction? I don't know, but it's something that I can stop and critically think through so that I can save my students of color who are on my campus disproportionately um, punished for this, the trouble. So we'll see. Question five, whose values are reinforced by this expectation? So as we're thinking about the headbands, my first thought was this is just not proper, right? Proper. And so when I stopped to examine what I meant by proper, mm -hmm. I meant mainstream. I meant, I didn't mean proper in the eyes of my students, I meant proper from my middle class um, perspective. And so it's very different value system. And so how much did, did I value what my students valued and what my families valued? So whose values are reinforced by this expectation? Thinking through that for the expectation that you are using as your example, I'll give you just a few seconds to think on that. For question six, whose values are erased by this expectation? So when we go back to the other question about who was at the table, who was a stakeholder that was involved in creating this expectation, who was absent, and that'll basically tell you whose values were erased. So making sure that if the rules were created without the input of a variety of people and diverse stakeholders, 
then making sure those values are represented in this expectation. So when I think about my students, my, I, my school was 72% African-American. Um, and my students really value, especially my, my female students, just like I was taught, to have my hair together. And so since it's not possible for a middle school student to always get their hair done or they don't have a lot of control, maybe it's more valuable for them to have a day or two to be able to cover their heads if they need to. Um, we are not pro or, or, or against this rule in general, but what is the, we're just stopping to critically question, why is it in place and what can we do to make sure that we're not unnecessarily punishing students? So be thinking about whose values are erased for the expectation that you have in mind. Question number seven, who would have difficulty or has historically had difficulty meeting this expectation? And I wanna take a brief departure from the headbands because it's pretty apparent and I want to think in some other context. One of the expectations in school may be no running in the hallway. Who might have a hard time with that? I'm not saying that no running in the hallway is not an appropriate rule, but who might have a difficult time meeting that expectation? Silent hallways. Who might have an, a hard time meeting the expectation for silent passing periods? The expectation that homework is done 100% of the time or even 70% of the time. What about 50% of the time? Who might have or has historically had difficulty meeting the expectation to show up at school the following day with homework done? When you stop and think about what we expect from students, we can't um, get to equity until we stop and also think about who has difficulty meeting those expectations and why? And I'm going to tell a little bit, a little story about um, an actual real life situation that happened in school just a few months ago. My assistant principal is on my is on our um, in our session today. And so this is a story about Keisha that I have told every time we've done this session since uh, this scenario happened. Katavia came to school one day with a hoodie on. And Miss Williams told her to take her hoodie off. And underneath the hoodie was a bandana wrapped around her head. Miss Williams reminded her that we have a very strict dress code and she couldn't wear the bandana. And there were almost immediately tears, like her whole aspect changed. And Miss Williams, as a black woman, immediately knew what the problem was. Katavia's hair wasn't done, but Katavia had to come to school because 13 year olds don't get to decide whether or not they're going to school because they have a bad hair day. And we can probably imagine that the, 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 the before school, it went something like this. Mama, I can't go to school with my hair is messed up. Well, put something on your head because you're going to school. But mama, I can't wear anything on my head to go to school. Well, you're going to school, so let's figure this out. And so in her best, in her best attempt at being compliant with school rules and with her mom, 
Katavia's only response was to put a bandana on her head. She knew that the bandana was not appropriate for school, um, school dress code. So she pulled the hoodie over, hoping that the bandana was never revealed, hoping, because sometimes, you know, we let them pass with the hoodies in the hallway, you know? But at the moment that Miss Williams realized exactly what was going on here, she looked at Katavia and said, what's wrong with your hair? Her beautiful braids that she had last week, you know, we love our braids, were not this. So Katavia's mom started the long and arduous process, probably, of taking her braids down and ran out of time before she was able to give her a new hairstyle that was appropriate for her to go out and have the confidence that she needed to be um, okay in school. So Miss Williams looked at her and said, keep your hood on and do your best to have a good day. A very similar situation happened about five years ago when I was assistant principal at another school. But this time it was a white man who approached a black student about having a bandana on. Mr. Keys saw Anaya with the bandana wrapped around her head walking through the hallway. And Mr. Keys immediately told Anaya to take the bandana off. There were no questions asked. There was no, um, no room for engagement. Um, there was no humanity in the whole situation. So as a result, a full-on power struggle engaged. He says, take it off. She says, get out my face. He says, you know the rules. And she says, you don't, you need to quit, you need to quit talking to me because she understands immediately that now she's about to be faced with a situation where she's either going to be embarrassed or punished. The idea that um, she had her bandana wrapped around with zero effect on learning. She was kind of really honestly just minding her own business, walking down the hallway, going to class. Um, and that she was approached by a white man who had zero compassion or interest in why she was out of a dress code led to what always happens, nearly always happens with black girls in situations like this. She got written up for being insubordinate and defiant, all because she had taken her braids down and didn't have the necessary um, products and everything to take care of her hair. And she was concerned about her edges. You know how I knew she was concerned about her edges? Because I asked her. Anaya, why can't you take the bandana off? Miss Williams, I didn't have any gel and my edges are messed up. That is, as Tony said earlier, the reality is like we take great pride in our appearance, right? And you, if anybody can remember back to being 13 or 14, like, you know how hard you will get clowned if there is any level, any part of you that is not 100% on point. When we stop and think about the expectations that we have for students, not only what those expectations are, why they exist, but who they ultimately have the most negative impact on, if we don't not only critically examine the, the uh, expectation itself, but also think about 
the potential implications when the expectation is not met, then what we're doing is honestly, we are just perpetuating disciplinary inequity in schools. Because at the end of the day, Anaya got written up for showing up at school as a little black girl. Question number eight. So what would happen, both good or bad, if the expectation didn't exist? So what if nobody cared if, if kids wore a headband or a bandana? What would happen if little black girls showed up at school with a head wrap on? What's the worst that could happen? Think back to Anaya and Katapia. What's the best that could happen? Think about the emotional trauma. And I know that sounds dramatic, but it's reality. Think about the emotional trauma that both of those girls experienced just by knowing that they couldn't show up at school as their whole selves. So think about the potential impacts, both good and bad, if we took away arbitrary, unnecessary 